You're listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Just a sample of the best pro wrestling podcasts we could produce on our tiny budget. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, at Podmania, YouTube and Instagram, at The Real Podmania. If it's wrestling you want, check out more of our great content at www.podmania.weebly.com. Let's do this. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Podmania podcast, the one that has been delayed and delayed and delayed with mine and Garth scheduled, but we're here today, a retro pay-per-view review. How are you today, Garth? Good, good, good. Just uh, drinking in the Festival of Football. Oh, God. It's the, it's stressful times. <laughs> stressful yeah, times yeah. being England fans. Um, at the time of recording, France have just made it through to the World Cup final, so if England make it through against Croatia... We have got France in the World Cup final. France are very, very good, very, very quick, very slick, well-oiled machine, which is ever so slightly terrifying as we are playing <laughs> Ashley Young at centre at uh, left back. But yeah. we are not talking about football today. Today is a retro pay-per-view review, and this was your choice, I believe, Garth. It was yes. And uh, once again, Garth is doing his best to educate me in the ways of decent TNA, <laughs> and. Um, We've had it, to go back a while. We have had to go back a while. We uh, we did TNA Destination X 2012 a couple of months ago. And uh, we're going back even further this time. We're doing Slammiversary 2006 from the Impact Zone, Orlando, Florida, June 18th, 2006. Now, this is... Again, you are going to have to correct me if I'm wrong at any point, Garth, because, again, my lack of TNA knowledge is quite alarming at times. <laughs> But Slammiversary is their big show. It's their it's their WrestleMania, their equivalent to WrestleMania. Is that right? Yeah. Or yeah, is Bound right. for Glory there? I think the Slammiversary is their sort of. It is their sort of WrestleMania, but it's more like their anniversary celebration. Okay, so it's a mixture of the two. Yeah. Um. Obviously, this is their fourth anniversary show. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's interesting to see that in 2006, Impact still doesn't have its own world title. That's still using the NWA title. Yeah, considering this is the fourth year of the company's existence, and you look at the talent that is on the roster. I mean, just on this show, you have got the Dudley Boys, you know, um, Road Dog and Billy Gunn, as they are, you know, in the WWE. You've got AJ Styles, you've got Christopher Daniels, you've got Christian Cage, Jeff Jarrett, Samoa Joe, Scott Steiner, Sting. And you still haven't got your own world title. It is, <laughs> it's very, very strange. Um, but overall, this was a decent show. Yeah. There's some it. fucking weirdness, and <laughs> we will get into that. As you know, is you know TNA's bag. I think they sort of thrive in being fucking weird, if I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> but we'll jump straight in. We'll have a look at the first couple of matches. Um, we started, and we're not going through the pre-show, um, but we started with the opening match between Team 3D of Brother Ray and Brother Devon taking on the James Gang of BG James and Kip James. Now, Garth, this is a bingo hall brawl. And at the start of the match, <laughs> I did not know what a bingo hall brawl was. Had never heard of one. And at the end of the match, I was still wondering what a bingo hall brawl was. I think it just means you you can go anywhere and do anything. So effectively, it is just a hardcore match. Pretty much, yeah. A bingo hall 
has nothing to do with it. <laughs> nothing. Because in the entire 10, 11 minutes this match ran, I was just like, I don't understand the reference to bingo halls. Is it just <laughs> because they use chairs? Just I mean, Dudley's, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Team 3D even. Um, I, w- I was very confused, but it was a fun little match. I mean, it started pretty much straight away. We had the awesome video package, and I really did enjoy that video package, the opening one. Where they yeah, were talking the, about the um, the King of the Mountain main event. Yeah, I really good. All the sort of movies are quite good. Yeah, I think all the video packages were really good in this uh, in this bit. You was was good for getting you hyped. Um, but obviously we cut straight from that, and the James Gang were being beaten up down the ramp by Team 3D. <laughs> One thing I did notice about BG James and Kip James, obviously Road Dog and Billy Gunn, was that Road Dog looked gassed through totally. very very early. <laughs> he was not in a good way. He was not in good shape. Whereas Billy Gunn almost passed for Attitude Era Billy Gunn. Yeah, he still does. Yeah, still does. Looks no different I mean, apart from the fact he's got shorter hair. There was some pretty brutal sort of chair and kendo shots quite early on. They held absolutely nothing back. And, you know, like I said before, that the Road Dog looked so out of shape, luckily <laughs> didn't take away from this match because I think this sort of played into his wheelhouse. Yeah. You know, a lot of it was hitting each other with chairs, hitting each other with kendo sticks. And to be honest, Road Dog probably hit the hardest with the kendo sticks. Yeah. Um, they brawled into the crowd, as you would the expect. One into the, the LAX area. Yeah, I want to talk to you about the LAX area. <laughs> now, we have spoken before um, on the Retro Pay View Review about how LAX are pretty much the staple of TNA. They've been there since the start. They seem to be tag team champions every time I watch a TNA event. Um, but they have their own area in the crowd, Garth. Talk me through yeah. that. No idea because it, I can't really remember it. And to me, it just looked like they had like their own area with a little DJ box. That is pretty much what I thought. They looked like they were the DJs of the show that no one wanted there. Yeah. Um, and the commentary team just sort of gloss over it. Oh, they're in the LAX area. Oh, okay. Yeah. Does does every team have this area in the impact zone or is it is it just LAX? It was just a way to get them on the car, yeah. And then LAX started beating up on uh Devon. Road Dog sort of offered a hand of friendship to Conan, who hasn't aged at all. Oh, and no. Conan then beat up Road Dog. And it was just <laughs> it was a very, very confusing segment. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the ring, the most hardcore weapon in the history of the world was being used. And that, what is that hardcore weapon, Garth? What, the bin? No, not the bin. The guardrail? No, not the guardrail. A fucking cheese grater. Oh, God, I forgot about that. The cheese grater had been bought out, and Brother Ray, for you know all his showmanship, he teased it, and he teased it, and he teased it, and he gave the slowest, lightest cut on the top of Billy Gunn's head, who sold it as though he had been hit in the head with a pickaxe. The reason I say the guardrail is because before that he'd set a guardrail across the chairs. Yes, and then he had power slammed him into it. <laughs> there was honestly the bit between Billy Gunn and Brother Ray was fantastic because those two, I feel, were the more competent wrestlers. Oh yeah. Whereas, as I've mentioned before, Road Dog seemed to be gassed very early on. Devon's never been the most technically gifted in the ring, hence why, you know, most other things he never made it as a singles competitor. I mean, Devon was in pretty good shape for this. Obviously it was a long time ago. 
Um, he was he was okay. I wouldn't say he was in fantastic shape. He was he was okay. Um, I mean, I noticed when they went into the crowd, there was absolutely no security whatsoever. No, absolutely. They were literally just wading through the crowd. Though that security would magically materialise for the main event, and you would know that they <laughs> exactly, were security yeah. because they were wearing black t-shirts with the words security on them, and they were the most. You know how usually you get security, and especially nowadays WWE, it tends to be enhancement talent, so they're quite ripped. And if you want to be a security, you know, a a member of security, you tend to have to be at least imposing. These had the biggest dad bods I've ever seen in my (laughs) life. They were the least imposing people I've ever seen. It was like they just put the t-shirts on the crowd members. Exactly, which is what I thought they had done at one point. Anyway, there was no referees in the, uh, no security in this match. Eventually, we get to the end, and of course, it ended with Team 3D winning with the 3D on Kip James through a table. Nice little opener. Nothing really else to say about that. I don't think it had any major consequence, really, on any storylines going forward. It was just a nice little opener, really. Yeah, it was just a good, like, fun match. Yeah. Uh, next, we had Rhino, and you could tell that he had been re sort of repackaged because yeah. he had an I in his name, not the usual Y, just to avoid any WWE uh, any lawsuits. Um, he was taking on two members of Team Canada in a two-on-one handicap match. Now, Team Canada, obviously, you've got Pete Williams, who is very, very good wrestler. You've got Eric Young, you've got A1. But instead, Rhino decided to take on Bobby Roode and Coach Damore. <laughs> now... Obviously Who is now, this... funnily enough, in charge yeah. of Impact. Which is weird. Yeah, I agree. Um, this was obviously because, you know, going back, Rhino had been cost, cha- um, had been cost a championship opportunity by Team Canada, whose yeah. gimmick seemed to be hitting people with hockey sticks <laughs> uh, wrapped in the Canadian flag. And obviously yeah, that, would play, gonna... that would play in a part in the, uh, in the match later on. But there was a lovely pit at the start when... Coach Demore and Bobby Roode came out first, and Coach Demore was sort of warming up in the ring. He was like, "I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready." He was, you know, he was telling Bobby Roode he should get out of the ring because he's he's got it, he's got it. Rhino came down to the ring. Demore bolted, yeah, followed by Bobby Roode. They ran back up the ramp, and he just turned. Um, Demore turned to Bobby Roode and just went, "I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. It's fine. I wasn't ready." He just he took me by surprise, and you could just see Bobby Roode going, "I know, man. I know. It's fine. You've got this. I've got this." It was just a, it was a lovely bit of character work. I really enjoyed it. Um, obviously, Rhino starts hot, but the number advantage sort of eventually sort of takes a hold. Yeah. Um, Demore only ever comes in when Rhino is on the mat. There's a bit where um, like Bobby Roode misses like a DDT. And you hear him shout, shit! (laughs) (laughs) Bobby Roode, even in this match, and you know, we're talking, what, 12 years ago? He's Mm. still fantastic. He doesn't look any different either, apart from the long hair. He looks no different. I wrote that in my notes. I said even back then, you could see how tight and technically good he was. Yeah, he was fantastic. And he really did carry this match, because obviously Mm. Coach Damore is not a full-time wrestler. And Rhino, he was a car crash wrestler. You know, yeah. he was there for the spot. He was there for the gore, effectively. There was a funny how um, when um, Damore tried to do, like, a moonsault. I have that written in my notes, underlined twice. Damore got up to the top rope and hit a moonsault. And it looked, missed it. It looked all right. It did. It looked fairly technically sound, to be perfectly honest. I mean, what is he doing doing a moonsault? And to be honest, the way he sold it when he missed it as well, as he hit the class. canvas, 
it looked like you know when you belly flop in water and just yeah. that horrible slap. sickening slap that was how it sounded on the mat yeah. it was horrible um i liked his uh, i like this t-shirt as well when he had a it was like t-n-a like oh, yeah. oh yeah there was one bit obviously where he sort of opened his shirt and he got a singlet on and he was flexing oh. his muscles to the crowd he was insufferable <laughs> in this match but it was just it was it was really good fun um after this, Demore realizes that he's going to have to pull out something fantastic out of the bag to uh, to beat Rhino. Gets the hockey stick with the Canadian flag, goes for the demoralizer, which is an absolutely fantastic name for a move, by the way. Yeah. Um, it's reversed into a gore, and Rhino wins. Which I think, if we were to do predictions on this mat on this card, I think we could have guessed that Rhino was going to win this match, yeah, yeah. and that Coach Demore would take the pin. Um, I'm just a bit upset, really, that we never. We didn't really see more of Bobby Roode. Yeah, it was quite sort of. It was just a short match to get Rhino over, really, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And Rhino was really over, which mm. something that I did think about while I was watching this match. There's that lovely story where, well, I say lovely. There's that story where Rhino is wrestling, and I can't remember who's wrestling against in the WWF. It's like about 2003, 2004, and Vince cancels the match part way through because he says it's that boring Jesus. and to be told that your match is that boring you're cancelling it mid like mid match in front of people on TV that's quite demoralising so I was quite happy for Rhino that you know he was quite over I'm not sure about the tagline the war machine though no they used that all the way through as well. all the way through it's like yeah. Roman Reigns and the big dog Yeah, it's just it's too much stop it um, one thing I will say, I just want to go back to the Jeff Jarrett promo between T between the first and second match. His intense promo. His intense promo, where basically, obviously I know his his catchphrase is ain't I great, but he compared himself to Michael Jordan. <laughs> and I in my notes brilliant. I put in no way, shape, form, or in any dimension. Is Jeff Jarrett even closely resembling Michael Jordan now or ever? So what I he's thought, saying I is, was I mean, I've never ever been a fan of Jeff Jarrett. I wasn't a fan of him in the nineties. I wasn't a fan of him in the two thousands when he had the slap nuts gimmick. When he was, you know, booking himself as every champion in TNA. Yeah. I've never been a fan of his. I've never seen the appeal of him. I've never seen him as a good wrestler. That bit genuinely made me laugh. Yeah, I, you know, I think, fair I, enough. I think he's like in when as for all the time I watched TNA and he did spoil I mean he did spoil whole pay per views by giving himself the championship, but he always I always liked his promos and stuff. Yeah, he's he stumbled a, really a couple of heel. times in this one, but it was yeah, it was okay. It was alright. It was just that bit. I was just like, really? <laughs> Michael Jordan. Okay. He also compared himself to a famous hockey player, but I, I am nowhere near savvy enough on the NHL to be <laughs> to understand the comparison, so I'm not going to try. Um, this match, though, was then followed by a Samoa Joe promo. Now, Samoa Joe... Samoa Joe's promos are always fantastic. What I'd love to know is, how sunburnt was Samoa Joe before <laughs> this? Or was it just the lighting? Because the man looked so pink, it, it was, was untrue. It, I don't know what it is, but for some reason... And I even wrote it down, I put, it was like a really smooth promo. It was like he was in some sort of den. 
Yeah, yeah, it was it a was bit. All dark. It was. It was a very. I mean, he's always had that Jake the Snake Roberts sort of never raising his voice style of promo, which is really yeah. effective. And what he said was fantastic. You know, you've never stepped in anyone, uh, stepped in the ring with anyone like me. Obviously, talking about Scott Steiner and his X Division match later on. Um, you know, you've got a short fuse, and trust me, I'll be the one holding the lighter. It's <laughs> like, oh, you absolute beast! I love you, Samoa Joe. But his sunburn really put me off. <laughs> I was, I was just looking at him, going. Can someone get that man some albasoil, please? <laughs> I hadn't even noticed it. Some aloe vera, not albasoil. Albasoil is for, you know, a cough. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that that was just something that I picked up. Anyway, um, match number three. You know how much I love a number one contendership match on a pay-per-view. Yeah. I think it really does build up the title. And this was probably my favourite match of the night. Yeah, um, It was a really, really good match. And do you know what? In the very, very limited time I've been watching TNA, or I've been, we're doing retro pay per views on TNA, I've enjoyed everything they've done with the X Division. Yeah. It's just, it was at the time, obviously at this time as well, it was totally the polar opposite of what WWE were doing. Yeah, exactly. And I think they sort of, WWE have not tried to emulate it, but are doing something similar now with 205 Live. Yeah. But. Here, this, you know, the X Division was something, and TNA have done a lot wrong. Trust me, a lot wrong. But this was something that they did do right, especially yeah. early on. Um, but this was a number one contendership match to take on, obviously, the winner of... Well, no, because the title wasn't on the line between Samoa Joe and Scott Steiner, was it? No, no. Um, so, to take on Samoa Joe, basically. Um, and this was between Sanjay Dutt, Alex Shelley, Shark Boy, Petey Williams... Jay Lethal and Senshi. Uh, before we get into the match, which was a really, really, really good match, as I said before, an elimination match. A um, couple of things. Shark Boy. Huh. Um, brilliant. <laughs> ridiculously over. Don't know why. He was. He was. Mad. He always was. Like, yeah. He used to come back for the odd sort of pay-per-view appearance, just to, to sort of bulk out the numbers, and he always got a class. Sort of yeah. response, especially he when he was doing over. the sort of stone cold, give me a shell, yeah, sort of thing. It's it, it <laughs> honestly baffling how that man was over. Um, no. Jay Lethal hasn't changed. No. What the fuck was Alex Shelley's gimmick? <sighs> he was like some sort of producery, sort of swarmy Hollywood guy, I think. The sooner that him and Chris Sabin become the Motor City Machine Guns, the better. <laughs> yeah. Because that gimmick, for someone who can wrestle as well as Alex Shelley can, as proved by this match, the better. And I know that he was yeah. in with Kevin Nash at this point, as we'll see later on in the card. But this, his gimmick was bullshit. It really was mm. awful. Uh, Senshi or Loki um, hasn't changed either. No, do you know what though? Senshi came out. I was like, oh, that looks like Loki. And then it took me until he uh, did his finisher on P.T. Williams. And I was like, holy shit, that is actually low-key. That <laughs> bloke gets around, doesn't he? Jesus. Does um, also, Sanjay Dutt has hair, which was yeah. uh, a lovely little note I made. Apparently, that was something I found interesting. It's like when you see um, Samoa Joe with hair back then as well. It's very, very strange, isn't it? The only yeah. thing is, Samoa Joe, like, his face doesn't change. Like yeah. He's got the same face. There's no, there's no change there. Um, there was a love. There's great, great performances from Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt. And every time 
they were in the ring, I felt that they were the MVPs. I thought that Sanjay yeah. Dutt, especially because Sanjay Dutt made it to the last two, I felt like he was really, really being pushed. I know he didn't win, but he was really, really, really being pushed. Yeah. They gave Alex Shelley a ridiculous amount of time to get that heel work over. He was really good as well. Some um, of the stuff he was pulling out. Yeah. Just such quick, on-your-feet thinking was really good. Which, you know, again, is why I've said, you know, the sooner he becomes the Motor City Machine Guns with Chris Saban, the better, because mm. those two are fantastic together. It was a lovely yeah. bit of heel work where Alex Shelley put his hand in his trousers, rubbed his own bollocks, then tagged <laughs> someone in. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever, ever, ever seen that. But that led to a sort of, I don't know how to explain it, a triple suplex where yeah. the faces all lined up and the heels all lined up and they all tried to suplex each other at the same time and obviously the <laughs> heels were suplexed by the faces and it was just, it was a really good match. It was the first big, big spot of the match yeah. and from there the match sort of went up a gear and up a gear and up a gear and it was just, you it had, was really good. You had this sort of rope burn crotch on the rope by Alex Shelley as well. That was really good. It was. It was really, <laughs> really good. Um, like but I said, I thought Shelley was good in this shit. match. I, I mean, I honestly don't think I've ever seen Alex Shelley have a bad match. No, no, neither have I. I think he's a really good wrestler, um, very underrated. Um, I think on uh, at least about four times I've got written down, Hench, uh, Senshi, stiff as shit. <laughs> yeah, even here you can tell that Senshi's out to hurt people. Yeah. Um, and whereas even Shelley, who's a heel, and obviously Petey Williams, who's a heel, you can tell that they are enjoying the match, they're enjoying the moment. Whereas yeah. Senshi just doesn't... Just, he's just, just so poker-faced. And obviously yeah. it works for his gimmick of this warrior. But even so, you know, you saw like, I don't know, let that smile, you fucking miserable bastard. <laughs> um, the first elimination comes when Sharp Boy, who I feel was literally in this match to take the pin, uh, yeah. he went for a top rope elbow, Missed and then Sanjay Dutt pins him after a standing shooting star press, <laughs> uh, which was pretty cool. Um, pardon me, Shelley was then eliminated um, by Lethal after Lethal got his knees up. Yeah. Um, after Shelley attempted a top rope sent on, and then he got an inverted dragon suplex for the three count, which just it was smooth as balls. It was lovely. Jay Lethal, everything so, he did was so 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 crisp. It was a really good um, like a like a sort of moonsault by Sanjay Dutt to the outside. I think it was on like about three of them. Yeah. Again, everything he did in this match, Sanjay Dutt, was mm. absolutely fantastic. Um, I got to see a Canadian Destroyer. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> which is the most indie move I think I've ever seen in my life. Um, but yeah. it looked amazing. Pete Williams did this on Jay Lethal. And it, just, it literally came from nowhere because at this point, Jay Lethal was on top of the match. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And... Um, Peter Williams sort of set him up for a powerbomb. Well, had him set up for the jackknife almost and just flipped him for this Canadian destroyer, pinned him. It was like, <laughs> holy shit, that was incredible. Um, but then, weirdly, a sort of a team formed between Sanjay Dutt and Senshi to eliminate Peter Williams, yeah. which led me to think, I thought Senshi was heel, or is it just he's a tweener loner sort of person? Think, yeah, he's just like a sort of... Uh... Sort of rides the the line. Yeah, well, so they sort of eliminated um, Williams between them. There was sort of a Salida del Sol from Sanjay Dutt, and then whilst Williams is still down from that, um, Senshi got up onto the top rope and top rope and delivered 
sort of his variation on like a coup de gras, which I found out was called a warrior's way, which is quite a cool name for a um, a move. There was then just a brilliant interchange between Sanjay Dutt and Senshi. Yeah. Uh, there was some really, really hard... He did like a standing double stomp. Yeah, exactly. Sanjay. Yeah, he did. And just those that, that double stomp. Whereas, I don't know, when Finn Balor does it for the coup de grace, it never looks like... Well, I imagine it hurts like fuck. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know whether it's because Finn Balor's a bit more slender than Senshi or Loki is... Or whether Loki just looks like he's trying to break your yeah, ribs. I think that's more. <laughs> it just he does it with a lot more just vigor, doesn't he? He does it with a lot more I'm gonna fucking hurt you now. Yeah. Um, I mean that, that drop kick he does. The drop kick the into corner. the corner, yeah. Holy shit. The, and to be fair, Dot, fair play to him, sounds like an absolute champ because he <laughs> bounces off those turnbuckles. Yeah. Um it took me a while to get used to the six sided ring. It and really the, did. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just like, "What the fuck is going on here?" I just, I'm not used to this bullshit. Um, <laughs> then you've got like Senshi just screaming at things as well. He's he's a scary bastard. He he's is. a scary, scary bastard. Um, anyway, so that was this interchange was eventually brought to a finish when Sanjay Dutt is sort of in a tree of woe position on one of the six corners because why have four <laughs> when you can have six? And Senshi's on the top rope sort of holds Sanjay Dutt up and does a double stomp on him. On his head. And pins him after that, which, holy shit. Now, apparently that was called Warrior's Wrath. So apparently these are two separate moves. I didn't know this. I googled it afterwards. But, fuck me, if you haven't seen it, watch it, because I am amazed that Sanjay Dutt gets up after that. I know. You see the ref go straight over to check him. Yeah. Because because Senshi doesn't. Senshi walks off, I've won, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care if I've broken your ribs, you're a bastard, fuck off. <laughs> oh, okay then. So you seem like a pleasant person. Anyway, Senshi becomes the new number one contender to Samoa Joe's X Division Championship. And we move on to my least favourite match of the night. Yeah. Um, there's, before this, though, there's a really, really good promo, though, with Nash and Saban. Uh, Nash and Shelley. Nash and Shelley keep comes out and he's like, there was 10 or 15 guys with knives. <laughs> is it? Just watch a match. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, Nash and Shelley as a team worked. You can but... tell that, You can tell Nash is just having a laugh at you. Yeah. Again, it was like WCW, who was on money, yeah. he didn't have to really do anything. You when know, Nash he was just like, about, um, easy. Nash mentions something about it's, it's Father's Day, so Chris Saban needs to write his dad's um, was it a, a Father's Day card saying sorry? <laughs> something <laughs> stupid like it was something stupid like that. Sorry for being a disappointing son. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was just like really. I mean, that played into the whole thing. I mean, this match was it was an X. It was billed as an X division sort of division match basically, and Kevin Nash wanted to prove that he was better than all of the people in the X division. See, this to me. For some reason, when I was watching, I was thinking of um, the big cast versus Daniel Bryan thing. Basically, yeah, I'm the big guy. I hadn't made that guys. parallel. I hadn't made that parallel, but yeah, I I'm, think it I'm is. I'm going to destroy you. Yeah. Um. I mean, the problem is with this match is that Kevin Nash, by this point, obviously, is is both his quads have gone. You know, at 
you know, multiple times. He's had multiple mm. injuries. He wasn't ever the smoothest of workers anyway. He was never bad in the ring. He just he wasn't interesting. So yeah. obviously it hampered with these injuries that have obviously built up over a career and the fact that he is at this point quite old. <laughs> it just, I don't know, Chris Sabin carried him a lot in this match yeah. and I feel every time Kevin Nash took a bump, it was like, holy shit, your poor <laughs> quad. Just calm down, Kevin Nash. Um, it was all built on his arrogance, really. I mean, Alex Shelley came out to help. Sabin, I thought, again, just proved how good he was, um, targeting the knee of Nash, which, again, very brave when you consider Kevin Nash's history of leg injuries. Um, you, could, you could see the big brace under his trousers. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could. I mean, the entire thing of Kevin Nash was, I'm stronger than you. So it was mm. literally just power move, power move, power move, and then Chris Sabin would eventually get, you know, like a chop block in on the knee. Yeah. And you know, really try and target it. And yeah, like you could see, you could see the brace. Um, anyway, so he gets Kevin Nash on the ground, uh, goes up to the top rope. Shelley knocks him off the top rope, and Kevin Nash gets him up in the Jackknife Powerbomb for the win. It always looks like such a nasty bump, the Jackknife oh. Powerbomb. And I don't know if it's because when he gets them up, he literally just drops them. He doesn't, like, guide them down like The Undertaker does for the last ride. He literally just lets them go. And it's, like, it's because it's that little bit higher as well. Because he's nine foot four. Yeah. He's he's a big lad. I just watched this. I thought, I don't see the point in Nash getting a win. Like, what? No. Um, I didn't see a lot of point in this match. And whereas I didn't see a point in the opening tag match either... At least the opening tag match was entertaining, and yeah. you know, obviously, I've I've said many times in this podcast that Road Dog looked gas, but at least he mm. hid it in this gimmick match. Whereas mm-hmm. Kevin Nash, Chris Sabin was carrying him, and that's obviously you know, as I've said, you know, there are reasons for that for behind Kevin Nash, but and Sabin is still doing fantastic work. I mean, Sabin was in the best of the Super Juniors this year. Was he? He was. Yeah. I was gutted. Alex Shelley wasn't in it. Uh, but Chris Saban was in it. Yeah, apparently had a really good showing. Um, speaking of best of the Super Juniors, just slightly off topic, we will get on to the next match in a moment. Have you seen... Uh, spoilers, by the way, um, from the G1 special on Sunday. Um, I haven't seen all of it, but I did see the Junior Heavyweight uh, Championship match between Hiromu Takahashi and Dragon Lee. Did you see the suplex from Dragon Lee? Uh, I saw a picture of it. Um, I, ba- don't, I don't think I want to watch the video. No, basically what happens is um, Dragon Lee has Hiromu in a Phoenix, sort of Phoenix suplex position, right. so in a package, and sort mm-hmm. of launches him over his head. And I don't know whether Dragon Lee doesn't get the elevation on it, or whether, um, or whether Hiromu didn't sort of sell it properly. But he lands right on the top of his head, yeah. and sort of drags himself. And it's he's he's out with a broken neck basically. Yeah, and collapsed or something, didn't he? Yeah, it, he carried on with the match and won with a ticking time bomb. <laughs> so it was like, holy fuck! Good God, I honestly, I got cramp the other day and couldn't walk for two days. This man <laughs> finished a match with a broken fucking neck, or freaking neck if you could angle. But hey. uh, yeah, I know puns for days. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a horrible bump, and obviously. Hiromu Takahashi is my favourite New Japan wrestler anyway, but I, obviously we wish him all the best. Uh, anyway, back to the retro pay-per-view. I just I wanted to slip that in just in case you'd seen it. Um, 
fifth match on the card was a tag team match for the NWA World Tag Team Championships because TNA don't have tag team championships either. So we'd got the team of AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels who should team all the damn time <laughs> taking on America's Most Wanted in Chris Harris and James Storm who came out with Gail Kim. There was some nasty fucking bumps in this match. It's really, I thought it was a really good tag match. It's an absolutely... It's possibly one of my favourite tag matches I've seen in the last couple of years. It was nice. a real... Pardon me, sorry. Outside of New Japan. Mm. Um, I just thought that everything in this match just worked. Mm. Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles, you know, they, they've put on outstanding matches mm. when they've taken on each other. So... They were they've obviously got fantastic chemistry and they put that through here as well. But even from little tag moves like when Christopher Daniels holds the rope down as AJ Styles comes over to you know yeah. do a tope over the top, just little nuances like that are absolutely fantastic. And America's Most Wanted, Chris Harris unfortunately was ruined by his time in WWE, but America's Most Wanted as a tag team were really really good yeah, as well. well. I think um, I don't think it was wasn't that long until they split up after this. No, because I think Beer Money yeah. was 2008. Because Chris Harris turned on James Storm. I With think. the beer bottle. Oh, no, no, yeah. that was no, that was Bobby Roode. Bobby Roode did that for Beer Money. Uh, but I think they did it on this as well. Oh, did they? they did oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Originality. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure they had like a bit uh, barroom brawl or something. Oh, okay. Not a bingo hall brawl. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, <laughs> so... Just everything about this match was fantastic. There was a bit where James Storm was lying on the mat and um, Chris Harris was sort of bent over him and Christopher Daniels performed a curb stomp on um, Chris Harris's head into the balls of James yeah. Storm, which was just quite... <laughs> I just liked that, to be perfectly honest. There was a they horrible moment. <laughs> so I say again. They just left them there for a bit. Just left them there for a bit, which is ace. There was a horrible moment when AJ Styles is on the outside with Chris Harris and sort of knocks Chris Harris back, goes up for the phenomenal forearm on the guardrail and <laughs> oh, yeah. Chris Harris just literally knocks the feet out from underneath him and there was absolutely nothing to protect AJ Styles' no. fall. And just I, I don't, chest, he it? just lands on his chest and his chin and it just looks horrible. Looks really, really horrible. Um, then there's a bit where Harris is on the top rope and somehow... AJ Styles managed to do a Pele kick off and hit Chris Harris in the head, despite him being on the top rope and being six foot four. That was impressive. Yeah. I mean, the elevation AJ Styles got was absolutely phenomenal. No pun intended. Mm -hmm. um, which just it sort of summed up everything in this match. Everything in this match was brilliant, was seamless, was crisp. And it just it it was literally the antithesis of the match we'd just seen. Yeah. Um. Like, I think the only thing that ruined it for me was the sort of passage that led to the ending. The enforcer. Yes, the yeah. the women interference bit basically, um, with Gail Kim taking on the woman who I don't even know who she was. I don't. I, she just came don't, into the ring and Gail Kim like started a, fighting with her, and it was a she's distraction. Like a sort of female bodybuilder. Yeah, I don't really understand. I mean, it was an 18 minute match. We've gushed about how good it was. We've listed off some of the more, you know, elaborate spots, but seriously, go and check it out. It's probably 
probably second favorite match on the card. So definitely go and check any well anything with AJ Styles and TNA is amazing. Yeah. But um, I just I feel like there was no need for this to take place in the match. No, not at all. It was such a good match that I feel like just the ending itself, the way they ended it with the combo, could have been enough. Because the way it ended was sort of a, um, a side slam from Daniels, followed by a frog splash from the top rope from AJ Styles, followed by the best moonsault, which was just, it. again, it was, everything was so seamless. And again, Christopher Daniels does probably have the best moonsault. It looked incredible. A lot better than Coach DeMores. I think you'll agree. <laughs> Definitely. Um, he, did, uh, he did his um, that Angel Wings finish on uh, James Storm's hat. <laughs> because <laughs> we're totally selling it as well I mean like, if you well, listen to <laughs> anyone listen to that it sounds shit it wasn't it was hilarious it was just the way the, um, the commentary team sold it yeah I mean the commentary team for for their faults were good in this match they irritated the living piss out of me in the main event and we'll get to that and I'll tell you why <laughs> why they irritated me um, but yeah, in this match they sold it well. Again, everything, everything but the woman, the women interference in this match. I just I didn't see the being a need for it. Nah, it, it, there was no reason. There was no. Uh, there was just not no reason for it to happen at all. No, and there was a video package obviously before the match, and nothing in the video package sort of alluded to the fact that there was going to be any interference either. No. So I'm I'm very very confused. If anyone in the comments wants to help me out with that, I'd be very very appreciative. Um, anyway, moving on to the semi main event, we've got the still undefeated Samoa Joe taking on the genetic freak Big Papa Pump, <laughs> Scott Steiner, master of maths. Before this, though, you had the public face of TNA management reveal. I missed this. Did you? I missed this. Yes. Please ah. do el- do elaborate. It was when they unveiled like Jim Cornette was taking over. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Right, okay. I don't know why I missed that. That mustn't have been on the version that I watched. I don't know why I didn't see that. But, um, yeah, that makes sense because of something the commentary team said in the main event. That makes more just, sense now. He comes out mm. and he gives like such a good promo. Obviously, Jim Cornette. Well, it's Jim Cornette, um, yeah. But he's so... He gets at one point and his face is so red. <laughs> he's, he's nothing so if not committed up. to his character. But um, I just thought it was really good. And I'd completely utterly forgot that they did didn't that whole. Basically, he was like commissioner. Yeah. Um, I forgot they did that whole thing with him. And when he came out, I literally I was like, oh, yes. It's like really sort of. <laughs> Jim Cornette, come on. Yeah. One of my favourite characters of all time. He is fantastic. No, I'm, I missed that entirely. I, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and watch it then. And um, then you had the the Steiner interview before the match. Oh fucking hell! So good. When he kept calling like he just kept calling Joe you fat bastard. Fat bastard, yeah. <laughs> Sloppy Joe. Sloppy Joe. What a name. What a burn. I mean, anyone watching Scott Steiner for the first time in this promo is would quite easily be forgiven for thinking that he is high. Oh, he's just of a lunatic. It makes me laugh how he's gone from a member of respected tag team Steiner Brothers to just this man who just literally has no filter and just says whatever the fuck comes into his head. 
<laughs> I mean, if you have, I mean, if you're a wrestling fan, you've already seen that maths promo that he does. Oh, that's so you good. take my thirty-three point three percent and his twenty-five percent, and it's like, holy shit! Oh my god, Steiner maths! I can't do this now. <laughs> do it on the fly as well. It's incredible. Um, anyway, so this match, Samoa Joe undefeated, Scott Steiner, big pop bump, looking to break the streak, and. Scott Stein is not very good in the ring, is he? Let's be perfectly honest. At this point, he's he's pretty much reduced himself to like three or four moves. Yes, he is for different reasons, but he's very much limited to what I like to call the Brock Lesnar moveset. Yeah. Um, Samoa Joe was the more adventurous of the two, as you would expect, obviously, the younger talent. And obviously, I know that Scott Steiner had a lot of injuries, especially when, you know, during his tenure in WWE when he got drop foot. And he was put into that god-awful feud with Triple H. Mm. But this, even though Scott Steiner was moving better than he did in WWE, and this match was certainly better than any of his matches in the WWE, it still wasn't a great match. No. And I'm saying it probably was worse than the Kevin Nash and Chris Saban match. And the reason I say that is because I just... I felt nothing but sympathy for Scott Steiner when he was in the ring. Yeah. And, and the, again, well, there was no real reason for it either. No, I think it was just a case of Scott Steiner saying, I am a genetic freak, I will break this streak. Samoa yeah. Joe, you're a fat bastard. Which, you know, okay, fair enough. That's harsh. Um, I love the bit at the beginning where they're just sort of face-to-face and Joe just spits at his face. Which is fantastic because Samoa Joe is the best. Um, and... You can see Steiner is literally... He's lit up by that. And it's that point you sort of think, right, is this going to light a fire under Steiner? (laughs) Yeah. No, it didn't. I mean, the two... The word I've used for this match is plodding. Yeah, totally. It's the the way Steiner moves around the ring. He just sort of hulks hulks around. He does. He does. I mean, even even his elbow drop, which isn't from the top rope... It's a standing elbow drop. And, you know, he does his flex. He kisses his bicep. You can't see this at home, but I'm doing it now. Um, and then hits the elbow. And even that seems laboured. Um, but I'm going to put this out there again. Samoa Joe, best suicide dive in the business because it leaves with his forearm and it looks amazing. He did it again yeah. here. Does a good one there, yeah. I mean, Steiner still shows off fantastic strength because, you know, I don't want to call Samoa Joe fat because he's not he's just a large man and the fact that scott steiner can lift him in such a variety of suplexes at his age is still quite impressive i mean there was a load of suplexes here there was dragon suplexes there was feet not phoenix suplexes there was belly to belly suplexes power bomb there was a power bomb which he botched but we won't go into that (laughs) and there was one suplex and it was sort of a belly sort of a sort of a belly to belly but Joe lands dangerously on his neck. Yeah. He really does. And I think that's Scott Steiner starting to get tired. There's a bit where they're, they're outside and they're doing something and Steiner just turns to the crowd, just shouts at the top of his voice, fuck off. <laughs> 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 and like, you honestly, like, you look, the way he's looking, you think he's going to hit one of the crowd because he's right up in this face. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, Scott. Would you be surprised? Would you be surprised not, not, if he lapped oh, one of the crowd? Not at all. Because I don't think I would be. No. Um, There's a bit where um, 
Steiner does Joe's corner slam as well. Which is really cool. But then yeah. Scott uh, Samojo sort of follows that up as yeah. Steiner's running at him, just picks him up in an Uranagi in the corner, which again t- looks amazing, one-armed. Oh, yeah. Which is just gets, amazing. Then Joe gets smashed through a wall. Yep, Joe gets smashed through a wall. Then there's one point where Scott Steiner's got a chair and Scott <laughs> Steiner punches the chair and obviously... Scott Steiner's holding it in front of his face. Joe punches it and the chest smacks Scott Steiner in the face, which so is hilarious. And out of all of this, what finishes the match? It's like a fucking suplex or something. It's like that. a scoop slam. Oh, that's a like slam. Randy Orton's scoop slam. That puts Scott Steiner away. Joe went through a fucking wall. <laughs> Scott Steiner got put away by Randy Orton's transitional move. That wound me up. Yeah. If you're billing... Especially considering he's been in, like... He's been in two of Joe's submission moves. Yep. Um, Joe had been in the Steiner recliner and been given, like, a half-Nelson backbreaker sort of thing. And yet, a scoop slam finished this match. Yeah. I genuinely thought that the ref had ballsed it up. Well, I was looking at it going, how the fuck has that happened? Yeah, like... Like, maybe he's supposed to kick out of it. <laughs> maybe he was. Maybe he's just fucked. Do you know what? I take it back. Talking about this match, this this was better than the Nash Saban match. Yeah. Um, because at least we had Samoa Joe in it. And do you know what? Scott Steiner, yes, for all his faults, he did show off fairly impressive strength. It's, I mean, he's still put on a match. I suppose he still he still sort of went toe to toe. It wasn't like he sort of let Joe do all the work. No. No, I suppose not. No, I suppose you're right. Um, I just, I, I just didn't agree with the finish. I think the finish soured me on it massively. Yeah, um, it's obviously because he couldn't. There's no way he was going to get him for the um, muscle buster. No. Oh God, no. No, if he'd have done the muscle buster on um, Scott Stein, Scott Stein wouldn't have gotten up. <laughs> um, so this led us to the main event. This was um, the the match that had been built to. All pay-per-view, it was a King of the Mountain match uh, for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Again, four years in TNA, didn't have a World Championship. Um, and this was between Abyss, who came out with James Mitchell. Lovely to see Brilliant. James Mitchell. Um, Ron Killings, Sting, Jeff Jarrett, and the champion Christian Cage. And they replayed the same video package again from the mm-hmm. start of the show. Yeah. Don't really understand why they had to play the entire thing, but no idea. they did. Um, they, they did a good, um, quite a good interview with Christian before the match. Christian Cage. Ugh. If they'd have let Christian in his second run in the WWE, when you know in 2012, when the roster wasn't that great, yeah. you know Alberto Del Rio with... and Jack Swagger were in the company. Yeah. If they'd have just let him be Christian Cage, then. I think everything would have been, you know, we'd look back on Christian's second run with a bit more, a bit well, more rose-tinted like, glasses. I, I, I was watching this and I was thinking, why didn't WWE just let him, I mean, like, people in the WWE who never watched TNA probably never ever saw this side of Christian. Yeah, exactly. Christian I mean, was a if, charismatic bastard. He really if he'd was. Gone in, if he'd gone in this character, because obviously when he went back to the WWE, like, Edge was on top. Yeah. But they were always kept apart. They could have easily had a really, really good like feud. Would have been brilliant. Mm-hmm. But, alas, you know, it never he happened. Did, he did call uh, Jeff Jarrett Jeffy Boy. 
Jeffy boy. And he said something about like, um, was it like a uh, something like he he confident of being the champion? He's like, you bet your sweet little ass. <laughs> <laughs> There's just stuff like that when he comes out with him. Just think that's what was missing from his WWE stuff. There was a lot missing from his WWE stuff. A lot missing. And I don't I don't say that patronizingly, because God, I wish. I wanted nothing more than to be behind Christian, especially during his very, very, very small world championship reign. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't think of many more people that deserved it. I love Christian's. I, to be fair, I actually enjoyed that little bit that he had where he was like, "Please, just one more match." Oh like, yeah, during capital chance. punishment and money in the bank. I, yeah. I thought that was all right. It was quite fun. Yeah, but I think if you're a heel, which is what Christian was being portrayed as. You can't give him a point. I mean, his entire thing was that he got cheated out of the title. Yeah. You know, if you're a heel, then, you know, don't cheat them out of the title. But he was legitimately cheated out of the title because his foot was under the rope and capital punishment. <laughs> it's like, I don't understand where you're going with this, WWE. And I just have a feeling that WWE just went day to day to day with Christian's yeah, character as opposed definitely. to actually thinking long term, which winds me up. I, um, love a, I love his entrance theme in TNA though. Is it, do you know what? I was just going to say that. Out of all the entrances, I liked Christian's the best. Because Abyss, for someone who was billed as the monster, his theme tune was fucking atrocious. <laughs> Stings? What the hell was Stings? It was the most generic rock song <laughs> I've ever heard. For some reason, Stings always reminds us of Seth Rollins, like his first one. Yeah, but Stings in WCW and WWE is iconic. Just use something uh, like that. Because clearly, w- uh, TNA aren't above just using people's theme tunes because our truths is exactly the same. exactly the same. <laughs> Even the crowd is singing what's up. Yeah. Our truth just came down going, What's up? What's up? What's up? It was just like, It's the same song. I don't understand how they got away with it, to be perfectly honest. No idea. Um, anyway, so we start the match, and for those who don't know what a King of the Mountain match is, um, <laughs> I still don't. I mean, basically, what TNA do is they try, they take a match concept, like, for example, a ladder match, which is a good, strong match. You know, tied, tried and tested concept, and they go right. Let's make it fucking weird. Let's turn it upside down. Yes, <laughs> quite literally at one point. Um, and basically, what happens is you've got the five competitors. You've got ladders around the outside. The belt is not hung from the hook at the t- uh-huh. um, in the center of the ring. Oh no, we'll get to that. First of all to qualify to get the belt and put it on the hook. Because you don't take it down, you must put it up there. <laughs> and the first person to hook it wins. So you have to hook it and then you get to take it down. Yeah. Are you <laughs> with me so far, people? Then, so you've got, to, you've got to perform a pinfall. You have got to pin someone or submit someone to qualify to do that. <laughs> now, if you are pinned or submitted... You must then spend two minutes in the penalty cage. Correct. Which is hell. Which is kept by Larry Zbysko. Yeah, this Larry Zbysko was there for some the some reason. He was keeper of the cage. Never, ever, ever mentioned why he's there. <laughs> now, I want you to remember this, ladies and gentlemen. Please, once you are pinned or submitted. You have got to go to the penalty cage. Okay? 
remember that. Unless... No, 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 no. <laughs> the rules clearly state, Garth, if you are pinned or submitted, you must go to the penalty cage. Yep. So the match begins, and um, I must admit, for a match that had ladders and cages and basically it was no holds barred, there wasn't a lot in big spots. No, there was... I mean, of all the big spots, Sting had one of the biggest. Sting did a cro- jumping crossbody from the top of a cage, which was yeah. very you know, very cool for a man of his age. Um, now, I talked to you earlier about how the commentary team pissed me off. And the reason they pissed me off, and it was a single moment, and this is probably me being picky, but Christian went up to the top rope very early on and yeah. he performed a jumping clothesline. wasn't a diving move, wasn't a flip, wasn't a moonsault. It was a jumping clothesline to take out Jeff Jarrett. And the commentary team sold it as though he'd done a 6.30 cent on. <laughs> it was ridiculous the way they sold it. At one point, both of their voices broke. Aye. And it Don was West, like... Don't West broke about 15 times. Are you... Are you being serious? It was it was a clothesline. In fact, I don't even think he hit it properly. He didn't. <laughs> um, I mean, I've said on previous retro pay per view reviews, specifically Capital Punishment, that if I ever saw our truth in a main event of a show ever again, it would be too soon. And I must admit, I know this was before Capital Punishment, but he did. Him, he was pretty good in this. I thought he was really good. Yeah, he was probably it's- the MVP of this match. His running TNA was actually really, really good. I think if he'd have, if they'd have focused less on his comedy aspect in WWE, and more on, pardon me, more on the fact that he can actually wrestle, yeah, then maybe he'd have had a far more sort of productive run in the WWE. But here, you know, he was drop kicking, he was doing the splits, he was hitting spinning drop kicks, all good stuff. It's- Smashed in the face with a ladder. Yes, being smashed in the face with a ladder because as he went to pick it up, Christian jumped on it, so it smacked up and hit him in the face. I thought that was a legit botch. I thought it was a legit bump. I was like, oh, God. And I just have visions of Joey Mercury. Yeah. Um, so anyway, basically we have a lot of shenanigans. We s- The first pinfall arrives after a missile drop kick. Now, I don't know whether it's because I'm watching a lot of, you know, 2018 wrestling where a missile drop kick is very much a transitional move yeah. but I suppose in 2006 it was very different, R-Truth came off the top rope, hit Jeff Jarrett with a missile drop kick, pinned him therefore R-Truth now qualifies to go and hang the title on the peg whereas Jeff Jarrett has got to spend two minutes in the penalty cage because he's been pinned or submitted and if you remember what I said before, he's got to spend two minutes in the penalty cage, very very important you remember that now, what I don't understand at this point, if you are truth or Ron Killings, I'm going to call him R Truth for easy's sake, Garth, you've just qualified to hang the championship on the peg. No one else has qualified. What do you do? Well, you should go and get a ladder and get up there. Thank you. Go and get the belt. Thank you. I spent the next two minutes going, does someone else have to qualify as well before this starts? Because our truth then started on Abyss. I was like, what are you doing? He's the biggest <laughs> man in the field. Don't start on Abyss, you clown. Someone picked up Sting and chucked him into the cage. <laughs> exactly, which made no sense. Because when it panned back, there was no one close to Sting, so it looked like Sting no. had just jumped at the cage. <laughs> um, so then, 
we sort of focused because the action was literally at some points taking place at two completely different ends of the impact zone. You've got Christian Cage and Jeff Jarrett fighting at one end with Christian literally trying to dump Jeff Jarrett off the top of the balcony, (laughs) which was quite cool. Um, And then you've got Abyss and Sting sort of beating the shit out of each other on the other side. Um, The action made its way into the ring. You've then got Christian and Abyss sort of beating the shit out of each other. And Christian got a pinfall over Abyss with a roll-up. A (laughs) roll-up. Of all things. Um, Abyss then... Gave Christian a good kick, which was nice, and made his way to the penalty box. Because, Garth, if you are pinned or submitted, you go Mm -hmm. to the penalty box for two minutes. Yep. Please remember that. Now, Mm -hmm. we then go to Jeff Jarrett, who has been fairly innocuous to this point. Obviously, this has all been centred around Jeff Jarrett being the only person who's won two King of the Mountain matches and blah, blah, he's the new Michael Jordan, and so on and so forth. He takes on R-Truth for a bit and then performs what's called the stroke, which (laughs) is a move where they are on the apron, him and R-Truth, and he sort of goes forward with R-Truth in sort of a less impressive skull-crushing finale onto the guardrail. Now, I wouldn't have an issue with this apart from there's a build-up to it yeah. where they sort of tease it going forward, oh, no, then they go back, and then they do it. And it's like, what the fuck is the point in that? Mm. I mean, there was, there was just... I don't understand. It was It's a face-buster, effectively, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But there's a little bit of theatrics at the start, but the theatrics make no sense. Um, anyway, R-Truth's head hits the metal guardrail... Um, and Jeff Jarrett picks up the pin on the outside because it's a false count anywhere, obviously. Um, Jeff Jarrett has now qualified to hang up the belt. Where has R-Truth got to go? Cage. The cage for two minutes because he's been pinned. Um, Abyss then takes a very strong dislike to Jeff Jarrett, as, as with the rest of us. And he performs a black hole slam on Jeff Jarrett to get the pinfall. He has now qualified. This is after the teamed up together to put some tables up. This is after they (laughs) teamed up to put some ladders to put some tables on the outside, stacked them too deep. This is after um, there'd been some teamwork with ladders, where Jeff Jarrett and Abyss had hit every single member with a ladder before (laughs) R Truth and Christian. I believe, then took out Abyss with a ladder. Yeah. There was a lovely bit where the ladder was set up upside down. Jeff Jarrett was stuck in the middle of the ladder and Christian stood on Jeff Jarrett and then was climbing up the inside of the upside down ladder to try and hang up the belt. That was quite a cool spot. Anyway, Abyss pins Jeff Jarrett. He's now qualified. He goes to the cage for two minutes. (laughs) Then, after... Someone attempts to climb. I think it's Christian. No, it's not. It's R-Truth. R-Truth is now the sole member of the slowest climbing of a ladder club. He's taken (laughs) the championship from Dolph Ziggler. Twice Ron Killings goes up that ladder. And twice it is the most painstakingly slow climb I have ever witnessed. Yeah, it, it was pushing the realms of realism. Let's put it that way. Um. Anyway, so he goes up. Abyss pushes him off the ladder. Now, as the ladder goes over, the bottom of the ladder, in, in you know, in air quotations, 
hit Earl Hebner, who was the referee. <laughs> we never see our truth again, by the way. I don't know where he goes, but we don't he see dies him. Again. Um so Sting and Jeff Jarrett have a little bit of a to do. Sting reverses a punch into a scorpion death drop. Um but there's no one there to make the pin. So Sting drags Earl Hebner over and sort of uses his hand to make the three count, <laughs> which was fantastic, which is definitely how everyone should like do, do pinfall. Yeah. Now, what has just happened to Jeff Jarrett, Garth? He's been pinned. Mm-hmm. Now, the rules of a King of the Mountain match clearly, clearly dictate that what should happen next... Uh, confinement. <laughs> confinement to a small red metal cage that is um, guarded by who? Larry Zbysko. Okay, Larry Zbysko. Yes, this is as fucking mental as it sounds. Now, Christian then attempts to climb the ladder. He is then low-blowed by Larry Zbysko. <laughs> okay. Right. So, Christian then comes off the ladder. Sting then attempts to ascend up the ladder with the belt... Christian stops him. They have a little bit of a to-do at the top, and the ladder seemingly, on its own, starts teetering. And you're like, what the fuck is going on here? It pans down. Who is pushing the ladder? (laughs) Earl fucking Hebner. (laughs) What? Okay, fine. So, the two of Sting and Christian Cage come off the ladder. Um, Abyss at this point, has gone through the set of tables, as everyone yeah. knew he would. And at and this point... And has been a guitar as well. Yeah, of course. Who could forget? Now, the ladder goes... stands back up in the ring. Who climbs the ladder to hang the championship up? King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett. King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett. Where should Jeff Jarrett have been? Well, he was, should have been in the cage, but... Correct. Obviously... obviously Bill Hebner is on the payroll. What's the? There was a second referee, though, at one point. Oh, that's right. The second referee counted the Abyss Jeff Jarrett pinfall. <laughs> so, where well, the fuck did Larry, he go? Larry Zbysko must have just thought, fuck it. Oh, yeah, forgot about heel Larry Zbysko. Honestly, and the crowd hated it as well, because oh, bo- best, it was a, just a barrage of bottles. I was just going to say the best part was the crowd went absolutely crazy. They hated it. Absolutely it was, hated it. It was like the Hogan uh, NWA turn. It it was, apart from the fact that only nine hundred people turned up to this. But, yeah, yeah. you know, it was it was a very small, mediocre riot, and that was it. That was the show. Um, Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> it was. I mean, Jeff Jarrett was obviously the NWA World Heavyweight Champion for the four billionth time. Um, it was just. It was a very very confusing end to a very very confusing match that was made confusing for absolutely no reason. I feel if it was just a ladder match, it would have been a fantastic match. But the idea, and and you know how much I love the Bound for Glory series idea, I love that, so you can't say that I just hate every concept that TNA come up with, but there's this, and then there's shit like the battle, the reverse battle royale, where everyone is outside and you've got to fight to get into the ring. It's like, what the fuck? They just... I swear that sometimes they come up with match stipulations just to be edgy. And oh, it, it, it doesn't 
make sense here. It's blatantly just to see what's WWE doing. We'll do the absolute exactly. opposite. And I understand that Jeff Jarrett is heel. Okay? And obvi- obviously, he's paid off Earl Hebner. And obviously, yeah. he's got Larry Zabisco on side. But that's never made clear. No, never. That that is what is happening. And I just feel that there was no explanation at the end. It just no, it's fades to black. It's off. Yeah. It and I can't like, really... See, I, at this point, I was only really watching the pay-per-views because you couldn't get the weekly stuff, the weekly no. TV. So I didn't know really what happened after either. Well, let's have a look. Victory Road 2008. Uh, sorry, 2006. So the title wasn't defended. There you go. Uh, of course it wasn't. Was Jeff Jarrett even on the card? Um, I, I don't believe so. There, there was no... Yeah, there was no Jeff Jarrett on the card. Um, but Senshi was the X Division champion at the time. Yeah. So he must have beaten... Um, he must have beaten Smojo. Yeah. Huh. Um, but, yeah, interesting, match. match six, Victory Road 2006... Raven against Larry Zabisco in a hair versus hair match. Oh, that was horrible. Yes, it was three minutes long. Yeah. And Raven won. Let's never review that, Garth. Um nope. So, basically, ladies and gentlemen, that was Slammiversary 2006. And yes, that main event was batshit fucking mental. It made no sense at all. But it's macho. <laughs> it was quite entertaining to watch. And I know I didn't sound like it at all, but genuinely... I quite enjoyed watching it just because it was just it made no sense whatsoever. It was lit I just sat there laughing at the TV because it was just I was like, what the fuck is going on? You know, you had some fantastic matches in the um the elimination X Division match between Senshi Sanjay Dot, Alex Shelley, Sharp Boy, Petey Williams and Jade Lethal. You had a fantastic tag match between AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels and America's Most Wanted. You know, we had Samojo and Scott Steiner throwing each other about a bit. That was okay. <laughs> we got Brother Ray destroying Kip James's lovely forehead with a cheese grater. So, you know, for every Kevin Nash and Chris Saban dud, you had a decent match. It's just I feel that the ending to the main event and the entire culmination of the pay-per-view was ruined somewhat by yet another Jeff Jarrett wank-off exercise, yeah. which yeah. is effectively what this was. I mean, I... I... Watched it at the time, but I remember watching it again and sort of halfway through remembering the end and just sort of groaning. Yeah. Say, oh, yeah, I remember the end now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a shame. It's a shame. But that's my second little foray into TNA done. And mm-hmm. that was your pay-per-view review, wasn't it? So I believe the next decision is mine. Yep. And we're not going into TNA, Garth. No, no. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to that. Yeah, that's fine. I'll, th- I'll let you do that. We're not even going into WWE or WWF. Wow. No, 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 Garth. We're going into WCW. Oh. And, oh, Garth, we are not going into good WCW. Oh, no. We are going Bash at the Beach 2000. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. We're going to Pinnacle Vince Russo. We are going to Jeff Jarrett lying in the middle of the ring whilst Hulk Hogan looks at him like he's just slept with his wife. It is going to be absolutely god-awful. And I can't wait. How long is it? <laughs> it's, it's 
longer than it should be. Saying that, it should only be about 15 minutes, but there you go. Um, so there you go, ladies and gentlemen. There is another retro pay-per-view review. Um, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, on CastBox. Uh, check us out on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at, at Podmania, Facebook at Podmania. You can follow us on Instagram and YouTube. Don't forget to check out the website, www.podmania.weebly.com. You can follow Garth at... Drummer Jackson. And you can follow me at, at Real Rob Goodwin. We'll be back later on this week as we give our predictions to Extreme Rules, which is obviously this Sunday. Neither of us are enthused at all about the concept of this pay-per-view because, let's face it, Raw is dog shit at the moment. But we'll do our best. We'll give you an entertaining podcast as we always do. But until then, we will talk to you guys again soon. Yeah, see you later, guys. 